0: Hey, it's Latif from Radiolab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. On every television channel this week here in Boston, the pictures have flashed from the marathon bombings a year ago, frantic pictures of the bombing site, the streets where police chased two young men, where one died, the other apprehended. For three people we spoke with this week who live on those streets, they don't need to see any more pictures. Those images have been running through their minds for a year now as memories, vivid memories they carry, and memories that have changed them as people and as neighbors.
1: As neighbors, I think we just all looked at each other a different way. And even the way that we we interact with each other, where you live in relation to where I live, it's all about the relation of where the bombing happened, where he went from his house to my house. And we keep making these connections with each other all related to this one incident. And so in that way, we sort of always look at each other a little bit in different ways that we were experiencing the same thing.
0: It's Jillian Levine from Watertown, a place that's been in her family for generations. And then there's Jeffrey Ryan, who told me that until last year, if I had showed up on his quiet street, he would just assume I got lost. But for Jeffrey, the last 12 months have been like living at the center of a tourist attraction.
2: It's been a neighborhood full of landmarks ever since the day after the shootings, the the day after the shootings when we were finally allowed to go outside. I uh, I went out and people had descended upon the neighborhood. They were taking pictures of the street signs, they were taking pictures of the houses with the bullet holes. There was Tamerlan's blood in front of the McDonald's house next door. Some were taking pictures of the blood stain and high fiving each other, which I found very distasteful and ghoulish. And uh, so I suppose. Whoever those people were, they indicated that know in my neighborhood it had become this macabre tourist attraction.
0: Jeffrey Ryan. And then there's Heidi Torek, a lecturer in the history department at Harvard University from nearby Somerville, who's been struggling along with her neighbors to understand the meaning of this one-year anniversary.
3: I think in, in many ways there's an impetus for all of us to want to commemorate what happened to look to the many of the victims to commemorate those who have have passed but also those who have have struggled so I think that's a large part of what is happening is the desire to to commemorate but of course in doing that that does bring up all kinds of terrible memories for a large number of people who experienced this so I think there's there's a duality here between feeling like we want to commemorate but also feeling incredibly sad.
1: I think about it all the time I think about that night um in the dark, uh, him going from from one place to the next, we weren't able to really talk to each other or communicate um, a lot through social media actually that day, letting people know that they were safe and where they were, and um, you never quite know exactly what's going on in people's life until they share it with you.
0: Jillian, Jeffrey, and Heidi, three residents from quiet neighborhoods in the Boston area that were at the center of the biggest news story in the world a year ago, Later this hour, we'll be exploring the idea of what it means to be a neighbor, how little we often know about our neighbors, how little these people knew about their neighborhood a year ago, and how the Boston Marathon bombing and its aftermath changed the idea of a neighborhood forever. A year ago, many of the voices we heard were tinged with disbelief about what was happening just down the street where they lived. It's a street that I walk by every single day to get to the bus stop, to walk to my office, to walk to businesses in the area where I eat, uh, shop. Uh, it was it was quite a shock. Hakeem Malik, who lived just 200 yards from the Sarnayev brothers, speaking to us a year ago. I probably rode the bus on some at some point with these guys. I mean, it's it's almost inconceivable statistically that I wouldn't have been in close proximity to them. But I ne- it never <laughs> occurred to me. As always, you're a part of this conversation when big events happen across the world or just down the street. Later this hour, we will hear some more candid observations and reflections from our friends here in the Boston area, Jillian, Jeffrey, and Heidi about what being a good neighbor means to them today. You can join the conversation at 8778MyTake or reach out at facebook.com slash the takeaway or just tweet us at the takeaway. Stay with us, neighbor. This sweet song from the musical My Fair Lady about standing on a street in a neighborhood where people live is about as far as you can get from the terrible memories of the Marathon bombings a year ago here in Boston. But then the people you're about to meet were also so far away from such fears and intrusions before those bombings a year ago changed everything on the streets where they live, in the communities of Watertown and Somerville. There's Jeffrey Ryan, a high school history teacher.
2: I live at 144 Dexter, so I'm where the the gunfight happened uh, that night. You heard of the transit policeman, Richard Donahue, who was shot and almost died, and that was in my driveway.
0: And there's Jillian Levine, who lives just around the corner from Jeffrey. She's a fundraiser for parks and greenways around Boston.
1: I'm on the corner of Walnut and Franklin, and Franklin is uh, where the boat was.
0: And there's Heidi Torek, a lecturer in the history department at Harvard University from Somerville.
1: So I actually live in Somerville,
3: very, very close to Inman Square.
0: These three local residents didn't know each other when we invited them to share a couch for some conversation in a Boston living room this week. But as they recounted their memories of a year ago, you'll hear it. They are neighbors now.
1: I was at mile 25 when the incident happened and... Uh, And we were on our way to the finish line. We stopped to get frozen yogurt, of all things. And then the crowds were too great for us to go to the finish line. So we said, let's just stay here. And we heard a police officer say to another police officer, we got to get everyone out of here. And we turned around, and we ran. And we got in our car, and we drove back to Watertown. And we took a sigh of relief and said, we're away. We're out of Boston. We're out of the big city. Nothing to worry about here. Very safe town. And that all changed five days later.
0: How do you reconcile the impulse to want to go inside your house and slam the door and pull all those blinds down and not interact with anybody versus, you know, I am going to know my neighbors from now on. I am going to meet everybody. I am going to know their business. I, we got to bond together. How do you how do you decide which to do after something like this?
2: I wish that I could say that the story that perhaps you are looking for that after this crisis. We all came out of our homes and and joining hands and singing kumbaya, and now we have block parties. I mean, that's that's not really what happened. But I, one thing that the the evening did was it, it gave me a really obscene sense of my own mortality. I mean, I remember when they, when they turned on the news and said that the Tsarnaevs, they're in East Watertown. They'd come there to kill people, and I felt completely vulnerable, and panicked, and and I, and I really thought that any moment now, I might be dead. And that really has never gone away. And it's not that I, I lose sleep at night. I, I sleep fine. But I, I feel like for whatever time I have left, I'm going to try to connect with as many people as I possibly can. And, and maybe if those guys had been better connected, they wouldn't want to go off and blow up the marathon in the first place. There's a thought.
0: What's a Harvard lecturer say to something like that? Heidi?
3: Well I have a couple of things to say. Maybe one as a historian and then one as somebody who obviously deals every day with, with people of, of the age of Jakar, Sanaev. So so firstly just in terms of the problem of community, I mean this is this is something that, that has been a concern For many people since the the beginning of urbanization and industrialization in the 19th century, when when many sociologists began to reflect on what it meant when people moved out of villages into massive cities and they lost the kind of social connections that bound them where they knew everybody. So that's the historical perspective. But in terms of thinking about how I interact with my students, this made me reflect very, very strongly on how we can interact with students, how do we look out for people who seem to be falling through the cracks. So I certainly also reflect much more now on the pastoral care that we can give to students and really making sure that if I see someone struggle,
1: I reach out.
0: What do you do, do you close the door or do you open the windows and invite people up onto the porch?
1: I felt like I closed the doors a lot. And maybe it's reflecting back to that time when, um, Uh, because everyone was trying to open them up so much. Everyone wanted to get into our neighborhood and what it was take us back to that moment and that day and that shootout. And I closed the door a little bit more, but I've always found a a fondness with my neighborhood and my town because my family's from there. My mother was raised there. My grandmother was raised there. My great-grandparents helped build the town. So we can't go anywhere without knowing somebody who knew someone in my family. My grandparents are no longer alive, but... I think that they wouldn't want the town to be remembered this way. They would want it to be remembered for a place where they built homes for people and made it a safe place.
0: You know, I haven't explicitly asked any of the three of you to go back to that moment. I've talked much more generally. But for various reasons, each of you in your own way have gone back to that moment. Um, in in describing what it means to be a neighbor. Um, do you suspect you'll be going back to that moment for a while, even after this anniversary, that in your lives you're going to be cycling back whether the media is asking you questions or not?
2: I Every morning when I go outside to take my car out of the driveway, I look down and I think of Richard Donahue, who almost died right there. And that's probably always going to be that way.
0: Julian, do you think anyone will ever be able to explain what happened a year ago to you?
1: No, I think in some ways I'm still trying to understand it. I don't know if it'll ever make sense to me, and it certainly will never make sense why he didn't come to my backyard. That I'll never know, why he was back there and why he went to my neighbor's.
0: So you've been sitting on the same couch together. You weren't necessarily... Neighbors who knew each other when you entered this room, but you are now, and uh, if it's not too much to ask, um, how do you think each of you is doing a year after the bombing? Who who maybe needs uh, more of a hug than somebody else, if, if I can go there?
2: They're both doing fabulously well. I, I can tell, um, and I, I don't mean to be intrusive, my uh, neighbor... Jillian looks like she still hurts a lot um, and feels very vulnerable and raw, and I'm sorry. And uh, I live over on Dexter if you want to come over for a coffee sometime.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's I, – I, I would agree with that. I do feel still a little bit raw, and I, and I see that on the faces of people, especially those who were, who were there in that area. But I think everybody on this couch is doing well in their own ways.
0: What do you think about that, Heidi?
3: Well, I think I had a very, very different experience from, from being in, in Watertown. As, as I said, in, in many ways, where the brothers lived was, of course, incredibly, incredibly frightening at the moment when you see that you are very, very close to SWAT teams. And that was incredibly scary, but we were very,
1: very blessed.
0: Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate this.
2: Thank you for listening and giving us the opportunity.
1: Thank you so much. It was great. Yeah,
3: thanks very much, and thank you for the, the chance to meet these two Watertown neighbors.
2: Our
0: thanks again to Jillian Levine, Jeffrey Ryan, and Heidi Torek. If you want to catch up on that conversation or listen back to anything on the program, check us out at thetakeaway.org. Reach us at eight seven seven eight 8 my take or send us a tweet at The Takeaway. Our warmest thanks to our friends at WGBH Boston Public Radio for hosting us these last three days. Thanks so much for listening. I'm John Hockenberry. I'll be back in New York tomorrow. This is The Takeaway.
2: The
3: takeaway is supported by reputation.com with tools to help businesses and professionals manage online reviews and control search results. Introducing reputation scoring for businesses. Learn more at 1-800-REPUTATION or at reputation.com. TiVo, maker of the TiVo Romeo, bringing cable TV and streaming apps together in one unified and searchable experience. Available at TiVo.com. The Henry Luce Foundation, for increased understanding of East and Southeast Asia, and the Rockefeller Foundation, whose transportation initiative is promoting equitable and sustainable developments in communities across the country.